You're listening to Once, episode 258, The Savior. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And we have watched and rewatched The Savior episode, and we are ready to discuss this in full detail. By the way, happy International Podcast Day, September 30th. I hope you're celebrating along with us. I'm doing some things in the greater Cincinnati area, as well as tweeting and posting and all kinds of things with the hashtag podcast day. A celebrate podcast every September 30th. International Podcast Day, internationalpodcastday.com, if you want to find out more about that. Let's jump into talking about this episode. In initial reactions, I pointed out that we got only one flashback, but there are still kind of two separate storylines to follow. True. In the way that we'll follow this. There's Rumpel's storyline, which has no intersection with the rest of the episode. So we'll address that separately, but I want to start with talking about flying Jafar scene. Yeah, we'll get to uh, Bell's Dreamland and theme park later on. <laughs> it's the new ride at Disneyland. <laughs> so first of all, I thought that what Jafar was shooting looked very TIE Fighter-like. Star Wars-like. It didn't seem oh magical. Yes. It seemed more sci-fi. His magic carpet ride laser bolts. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole new world. (laughs) It is. I'd say that's just a production thing, not really something worth discussing, even though I brought it up, which wasted your time a little bit. (laughs) The subtitles call this character that's running Emir, E-M-I-R. Irrelevant. Yeah. He he, (laughs) he poofs into a pile of dust. (laughs) That's That's what his tombstone says. His life amounted to a pile of dust. I like how I've seen it twice, and I was kind of like, who did what? I was busy. I'm sure that both times I was so completely distracted by New Jafar mm-hmm. that, you know, he could kill several people, and I it would take me a while to catch up. So re-watching this episode. Did you like him more or less? That's what I'm, I want to ask you. Oh. For me, I still like him the same amount. I think as a Jafar, he's a good Jafar. I think he fits the role perfectly. It's Oded Fair. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, is the name. Uh, And it was Naveen Andrews who played Jafar in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland. Now, Naveen Andrews did a great job. I think he really developed the role better as Once Upon a Time in Wonderland progressed. That that first episode, I I didn't think he was a good fit. He wasn't an obvious Jafar because the only Jafar we knew was the animated Aladdin. (laughs) Right. Right. So this guy might even match the animated one better, I guess. It's so hard to tell with these little short scenes because the material they're given is so sparse. It just, it's very, I feel like, and not just this one actor, but so often these sort of newly introduced people, it's like they're just sort of straining at the role, like they're making it happen. And it, it's almost just a little over the top. 
it doesn't have a lot of subtlety because it's not a subtle moment and they're not given any real chance. It's like a picture drawn with markers and just it's big and it's flashy and then it's over and like, well, I don't know if we're ever going to see him again or not. I really think we will. That he's an important character to the Aladdin storyline. And if Aladdin is a savior to a different realm and apparently every savior has a villain hashtag unbreakable which i can't even believe i just said hashtag like that i am turning into a millennial i can't believe this (laughs) even though i am a millennial i'm a senior millennial (laughs) but i don't want to be a millennial and i'm turning into one but uh even with with the the little flashback that we got i think it's a setup for we're going to see more because we're going to see the parallels between Aladdin and Emma. We're going to see Jafar's battles with Aladdin. Why is Jafar this horrible uh, menace to the kingdom that the kingdom is in trouble and Aladdin is the only one who can save them? I think we will see a lot more of Jafar. And I think that little bit that he got to act, uh, I think Oded nailed it. And I think he'll make a great Jafar. I wish they could get Naveen Andrews, but he's busy on another project called Sense8. But that aside, the Jafar they got is a really good one. (laughs) It's kind of like Robin Hood, okay? They did have to recast Robin Hood. And somewhere along the way, Kitsis and Horowitz said, well, Robin Hood did some kind of glamour spell to conceal himself so Rumpel couldn't find him. Whatever. But here, I don't know if they'll explain it. Maybe every land has its own Jafar. <laughs> and this isn't actually Agrabah. Are you saying love the Jafar you're with? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> All that to say, Oded is a great Jafar. I wish it could be Naveen Andrews. It's not. I'm over that. This guy's great. We're sorry that you're not the first Jafar cast on in the Once Upon a Time universe. Not your fault. <laughs> Run with it. You'll You'll do great. We'll all still be mad, but not at you. <laughs> what do you think about Aladdin's assistant? Who? The girl. You would call her Jafar... the assistant? Okay, so you think something. Well. There are a lot of theories about her. So I thought that first scene was rather violent. I did not make the connection until later on that we ever saw her again. Mm-hmm. Everything about that scene in the beginning was actually for me, and this might be my problem, but it was rather forgettable for me. It was hmm. somewhat disconnected from the rest of the story. And it, it's not in the overall framework of the season, I'm sure. But it was sort of like it happened, and then we focused on other things. Well, let me point out a few details to you. Okay. Yes, it's the same girl in the opening scene as the girl who says she's an oracle. Not the oracle, or but an, was once called Yeah, an was once called an oracle. In this opening scene, Jafar whooshes her against the wall, and she gets whooshes. a she gets a cut on her right cheek. Which, let's be honest, if she ever met the most similar character to hers, she would feel like that was nothing. <laughs> okay, yeah, true. <laughs> also, in back in Storybrooke, when we see that girl again, she still has some kind of wound. Or an obvious result from a wound, like mm-hmm. almost a scar, but it looks kind of fresh, like still red uh, in that same spot. I thought it looked rather new as well. It doesn't even look like a scar. It looks like a bruise. Yeah. And of course, the other that I was referring to would be the seer 
from oh, okay. Rumpelstiltskin's days, whose eyeballs live in her hands and whose face is stitched up. And believe it or not, you will hear from the seer again in this episode because I've got something on that based on some feedback we received. How do we know that's true? Is it a prophecy? It is a prophecy. Wow. Are you a And you can now? trust me because I'm on a podcast. Huh. But the other detail of note is in Aladdin's little hut there in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> there is a red bird. Also known as his house. <laughs> There's a red bird in a cage. Yeah. He's tiny. And a red bird leads Emma to the oracle. So there are all of these little clues tying them back together. Now, is that... A little bird told her how to find the oracle? <laughs> yeah. Is mm-hmm. that bird Lago, like from... Iago? Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Bad pronunciator <laughs> of names. Is that the same bird as we see in Aladdin? I, they designed it to look like it, so I'm going to assume. Yes, that's that. we'll probably hear its name at some point. But Home yourself, Iago. Here is one theory about that girl, the Oracle. Lindsay said, maybe the once twist here is that she's the genie we know in Aladdin. A genie who can be injured and knows the future and doesn't live in a bottle? Okay, good point. Not to poke too many holes all at once. But no. <laughs> Terry, aka Beans827, also thought the same thing. And by the way, I wanted to read this kind of little note from Terry saying, just found your podcast at the end of last season, and I have to say that I love it. I listen as I do laps around a track for exercise. Makes the work so much easier to do. So thanks so much for all your great insight. Wow, we help people run around tracks. Or run in circles. <laughs> we, That's what this podcast is all about. We keep running in circles. <laughs> yep. Just, so we don't have to. Just Wait. like the show does. What? <laughs> there are some other theories about the Oracle's identity and maybe being not who she claims to be or who we think she is but i'll get into those she's balefire from the future or henry from the future i'll get into those (laughs) other theories later in the podcast okay uh do you feel like it would be good homework to go watch once upon a time in wonderland if one has not previously or would it just be frustrating because we have new jafar i don't know Because because i feel like we know a lot about the genies and that might Put some yeah. theories to rest if you've seen all of that genie stuff. And Once Upon a Time in Wonderland is a nice little series that has a nice final ending to it's it. It's worth watching. It's fun. It's a bit whimsical, but once you get past that or get used to that, it's a fun series that has a good storyline and beautiful mm-hmm. ending and beautiful things about love and forgiveness in it. And it's a perfect example of how when you choose the ending, (laughs) great things happen, even when you have flaws. (laughs) Now, in Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, they did discuss more about the laws of magic. And in fact, they kind of changed them a little bit because they changed them to include you can't change the past. So they changed the laws of magic to include that you can't change certain laws of magic. But the important thing yeah you learn more about genies and how genies work and certain limitations they have Uh, you learn about what a genie is my one concern is that based on how they've treated once upon a time in wonderland inside of once upon a time proper yes that it's as if wonderland is not canon now 
In Wonderland, they treat Once Upon a Time and Storybrooke as canon to Wonderland, but it's not really working the other way around. Well, but Will was present. Yeah. So. But it really doesn't make sense why he's present, and then yeah. he just disappeared again. We never got his backstory in Once Proper. There are so many things that just feel like a reaction to fans. Like, Will showed up, he got used oddly, everybody kind of... Whereas he was the favorite from Once Upon a Time in Wonderland in Once Proper, everybody was like, who's this jerk? And then when they dared to dip their toes into whatever his story might be, because they always seem to have casting problems, I assume is why, and certain things that were very important to that story seem to have been ruined by his being brought to Once Proper... I think that's why he disappeared quietly, so they would not further ruin their previous good work. <laughs> Your question's a <laughs> Yes. Yes. So here's something else to think about. When Jafar was talking to Aladdin, Jafar basically said that Aladdin could have escaped this fate. Now, what fate? I, I don't quite know. Is it the fate of what I call Savior Shakes, uh, the Savior Shakes. Um, My goodness. But how? How could he have escaped his fate? Is it like you could have escaped your fate if you had only bowed down and served me? Well, maybe he means the fate that Aladdin has seen. Also Which possible. I assume is why the Oracle or the girl formerly known as Oracle <laughs> was visiting Aladdin for the same reason that Emma was visiting her. So if Aladdin could have escaped his fate, I think we'll find out if Aladdin is truly beyond saving. My guess is... Villains say whatever they can to hurt people, though. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, My guess is that we will see that Aladdin couldn't save himself. But Emma may not be beyond that point of no return. She may still be able to save herself. She may still be able to escape that fate. Mm Hmm... Not if they're going to be honest with what they've already shown us. Yeah. But and maybe it's just true from a certain point of view. <laughs> yeah. And here's a point of view about lowercase saviors in Once Upon a Time. It took becoming a hero for you to completely come apart. But that's what always happens to saviors, isn't it? It's the fate of saviors. You give. And give. And give, and for what? They pick the fruits, they cut the branches, and all that's left is this shaky stump. That's why you never, ever hear these words about a savior. They lived happily ever after. And hopefully you don't do... A drinking game with the titles of the episodes because <laughs> ouch that scene so he says these things but it would seem if a savior can be defeated does that make them a savior i suppose from a literary sense if you're looking at a character type that is lowercase savior then the function is to save everybody right regardless of what their fate is, perhaps. Being a not a literary expert in almost any way, that's my take on it. Now, I want to get biblical here for a moment. The Savior from the Bible, Jesus Christ, died 
and that was his sign of victory. Well, no, not sorry. I totally messed part. up. Yeah, not that <laughs> part. That was a step. That was what everyone thought was the defeat. That was the saviors don't get happy endings kind of <laughs> look of things. And, you know, savior doesn't live happily ever after. But Jesus rose from the dead three days later, which that was the sign of victory. That was proof of the saviorness, a word that I'm going to use several times in this podcast. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so there's, I think, looking at it kind of uh, from a biblical perspective, a savior would have a final victory. Mm-hmm. And even in death, it would be a victory. Right. So if Emma dies, I think it would be a death of victory not a death of defeat, like a death to protect. Right. Not a death out of failure. Right. So as we're on this first scene, I want to say something about the very first part of the first scene. And I probably say this every year. Have we ever started a season without following someone on horseback racing through the countryside? Oh, yeah, that's right. I was thinking about that before I saw this episode. I remember the first and second seasons very clearly, but with third, fourth, and fifth, we had the mid-season transitions, and I don't think the mid-season premieres followed that pattern, but I can't remember for the life of me the initial season premieres of those. Third season, no, was Emma giving birth to Henry. Oh, true. And then riding a boat. Just kind of like Neverland. riding a horse through the countryside, but I'm not really oh, sure yeah. how. Yeah, it's very, very similar. Yeah. Such a leisurely stroll. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of leisurely stroll, let's leisurely stroll into talking about Rumple. Okay. Because his timeline in this episode is really completely separate from everything else that happens in this episode. It was a real snore. <laughs> so Rumple gave the keys to Storybrooke. To hide in exchange s- for the information. And we'll talk more about those keys in a little bit. But he learned about this place, the Temple of Morpheus. And it has... <laughs> Can we just <laughs> talk for a moment about the way Hyde said all of that? He sounded very much like a video game narrator to me. Mm. And really, as you were playing the sound clip of Jafar, I'd really love to hear a conversation between Jafar and Hyde. I think it would sound hilarious. <laughs> And maybe just a little overdramatic. Just a little. Not that Morpheus is overdramatic at all. Morpheus was the god of dreams in Greek mythology, which I didn't realize until doing my research for the podcast. And now it makes a lot more sense why the character most of us think of when we hear the name Morpheus is the guy from The Matrix who offers Neo the pill, the red one or the blue one. And now it makes a lot more sense to me why he's named Morpheus, because in The Matrix, he was helping Neo to escape from a dream, because Morpheus is the name of the god of dreams from Greek mythology. Makes perfect sense to me now. So as we're seeing this fake Morpheus in the dreams, uh, or the one who is affectionately called Baby Mo. Baby Mo, is that... Was that a double meaning name? Well, that's kind of convenient. Baby Mo <laughs> could be, it's a nickname. I that mean, he the was only has. pretending to be Morpheus. Right. So we're talking again about an unborn child with a knowledge of Greek mythology. I just want to be clear on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
And also, everything that happens, if you watch this episode again, keep in mind that this is baby Mo the whole time. And <laughs> think about everything that baby Mo is able to do. He seems to possess magical powers. Then again, this is in a dream. He has knowledge of the outside world. And he has knowledge of events that happened before he was born. Which, it lets, it, that's everything. Yeah. Including current events. Yeah. They're still before and, he and was born. before he was even conceived. Yes. And he is claiming to be Morpheus, who may not actually exist or may actually exist. We've seen now that apparently Greek mythology does exist as a reality to Once Upon a Time's universe. Mm -hmm. So perhaps Morpheus does exist, whether he's still alive or around, I don't know. So I'm starting to wonder, is Baby Mo special in some way? Sure. I mean, everybody is, right? Well. Yeah, just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, just like everybody else. Mm, I I don't think that would be preposterous. I don't know what the nature of that specialty would be, considering perhaps the most special element of his parentage is the dark one. And that's creepy. Yeah. And uh, honestly, everything about this was creepy retroactively by the time it was finished there are a lot of questionable things a lot of a lot things that you kind of you do have to suspend disbelief but at the same time they could be hinting at something important to us you have to take disbelief out into a field and shoot it like a rabid dog unless there is further explanation offered which i have hope i choose to believe that this will all make sense. One of the things that does make sense, at first I thought it doesn't make sense, is why is Belle in this dream world? But it was something small that Morpheus said. Oh yes, that actually did make sense to me. Belle was pulled from mm -hmm. the Red Room. That's not the way he said it, but he did say Belle will return to the Red yes. Room. So yes, when she took that sleeping curse, she did go to the Red Room and was brought here by the Sands. Yes, and that actually made a little bit of sense. Yeah. But then is the hourglass real, or is it a concoction? See, it, it was completely false. And I thought it was funny because when he said it, when he said, blah, blah, when sand goes through hourglass, Belle will return to the burning red room only this time forever. I was like, cool, dude, that's not the way this has ever worked. What happened to True Love's kiss? Are you doing this to her? What? It didn't make any sense. And to Rumple, it should also not have made any sense. Well. He it, knows how this works. But if baby Mo has strange knowledge of outside events, then it makes sense because Mo French said, I will not wake my daughter for you, Rumple. And Rumple can't successfully wake her. So it seems no one can wake her. Or I know, before this. but I think he should have called foul on it. And I think it exposed that he was concocting something. There were some interesting little details inside of this scary version of the castle. <laughs> like there's a table of empty shoes that Rumpel was looking at, probably from all of the people he murdered, in, at least in this version or of him. Children. Yeah, they're pelts. 
And uh, there were torture elements throughout. Now, that mirror in there where he sees himself as Rumpel or as Mm -hmm. Belle sees him in the dream, that's the same mirror that Regina looked into when she said, the queen is dead. Long live the evil queen. (laughs) Followed, no doubt, by Regina music. Yeah. Or evil queen music. When Rumpel then embraces the fact that he's appearing as Rumpel to Belle in the dreams, I found it humorous that he could just flip on the enchanted forest rumple version and the <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff <laughs> or is that just what bell was hearing good point good point i i've never seen him and we may never see him be that kind of rumple stiltskin when he's in storybrooke that's true especially not in storybrooke attire just normal mr gold kind of attire that would be interesting during that beautiful transition with the beauty and the beast song going on in the background things like those torture elements disappeared there was still a cage in the room but that was (laughs) existing already in the actual castle oh gosh now science versus magic in our forums said of this scene it seemed like a big retcon of skin deep retroactive continuity the whole point of Skin Deep was that Belle wasn't terrified of Rumpel. She was brave. She was calm. She even talked back to him. The way it was presented in this episode makes it implausible that she would ever have fallen in love with him. They didn't need to mess with Skin Deep as it was a beautiful episode. Yeah. I mean, she was the one trying to take the curtains down because she thought it would be nicer. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe at one point she was terrified. But now I would say, remember, this is a dream. Everything that happened in Skin Deep still happened. It's not being uh, retconned. I wouldn't even call it retcon. I, it's, it's lackcon. Yeah, it's a lack of continuity. Well, in terms of what her thoughts and feelings were and how she perceived the world. But I think it's really Rumple reawakening what's already there by kind of rehearsing this mm-hmm. and there are movies that play along with that kind of storyline where the person who fell in love gets amnesia for some reason and so someone else makes them fall in love again by kind of redoing some of the same things but in here it's really rumple just needs to reawaken those thoughts and memories in her which he does through everything that happens even though it was fast and this was a much better version of him like he was completely honest with her uh, whereas in skin deep when she mentions that she saw clothing for a child and she asked what happened to your son rumple just says he died <laughs> here rumple says basically uh, he re- he left me because i wasn't brave i was a coward i did bad things rumple is a lot more transparent here and honest about what actually happened in sharing the truth there was, I found it kind of an interesting, I don't know if I want to call it a parallel, but that she stopped the kiss and the, even though it was just a dream, she wasn't really breaking any curse. She's, it was still kind of happening in the dream and she's the one who stopped it because she started to remember rather than the way he stopped it because he realized what was happening and he wanted his power. Yeah. And now leading up to that kiss, guys, take note of this line. For you. I would be the best man I can be. But guys, remember that. Use it. It might work really well wow. for you. Besides, do we believe him? 
he does love Belle. Yeah, but... And she confirmed that she loves him. What's his idea of the best man he can be? Yeah, that's true. Because apparently he still wants to be the dark one. Mm -hmm. So what if the best man he can be is without the dark one? Sorry about your luck, Crumple. And it's kind of strange that Belle would affirm that she does truly love him. And she said, I believe you truly love me. But she's not willing to work it out. She's not willing to change and grow. And it seems like Rumple isn't either. So do they truly love each other if they're not actually willing to change and grow and become better people? I want to firmly say that he's not, that he is dangerous and the way he's been toward her is dangerous. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, I can't remember enough about where they've left this flip-flopping relationship entirely to remember exactly what frame of mind they've put each of them in when last we met. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't remember. I had ideas and opinions at every stage, but I don't even remember where they've left them. He still, yeah, he still wants to be, he's still saying you have to accept the evil. Yeah. And so at that point, it's pretty hard hearted on his part. And, and Jacqueline left a note here pointing out that Morpheus, or as the forum has taken to calling him Morphetus. Oh my fetus goodness. Fetus is like Latin or something for baby, uh, <laughs> in case you've ever wondered. He, he doesn't remember the good memories with Belle and Rumple. He what? doesn't seem to know those. He seems to only be thinking about the bad ones. What a negative baby. <laughs> so it's, it's common in this show for them to really expand our understandings of certain things like true love's kiss and what is true love or the heart of the thing you love the most. And We've seen them expand these in many different ways. And here they took us for a new turn. True love's kiss inside of a dream can wake you from the sleeping curse. Yeah. And I wasn't even mad about it. There was so much else to be confused by. It's poppycock, of course. Um, I thought that once Belle was awake, her summary of the situation was the creepiest thing of all. Our son, who has no control over his bodily functions yet, <laughs> gave me a warning, and I'm going to listen to him. She said he was testing her to see if she'd do right by him. So what if she fell for Rumple's, I guess, in his mind, deception? he would keep them both in a sleeping curse rather than wake up his mother and be born to such a woman? Is that what that meant? Like, to me, that's either a sloppy line or really stupid creepy. <laughs> He's acting like a baby. He's acting like his father, in my opinion, in that case, but she's all about it. So I don't know. I don't know what to think. I think, uh, I think we'll see. Jacqueline still thinks that the only way to fix the family is to have Rumple die for Belle and Morpheus, or Baby Mo, thus changing Belle's mind about Rumple, and perhaps changing Morpheus's mind. I don't like that baby. I've just decided that's an evil baby. She needs to go have that baby in the Enchanted Forest, and then they need to like raise him in a nursery with a 
protection spell around it and make sure he doesn't put the world into dreams for his testing. Now, here are some interesting thoughts from members of our community. Nevermore said, when your toddler unreasonably throws a fit about wanting the other parent to go away or try to pin one parent against the other, it is a good parenting technique to remind them that we say nice things to each other and that (laughs) parents are a team. Because the next thing you know, they'll be pulling the cat's tail and pushing little Johnny into the sand while stealing their bucket. Parenting fail, Belle. Parenting fail. (laughs) That's amazing. And Dark One Deary points something out interesting. Morphetus causing Rumpel's death would actually fulfill the prophecy that was never really fulfilled. Let's listen to that prophecy. This is from episode 214, Manhattan. You will be reunited with your son, and it will come in a most unexpected way. How? A boy. A young boy will lead you to him. But beware, Rumpelstiltskin, for that boy is more than he appears. He will lead you to what you seek. But there will be a price. The boy will be your undoing. Oh, did you have to say that? That last part, did you have to? Well, here's what the Dark One Deary said. Here, we thought it would be about Henry, but maybe it's his own son. I'm one of the people who still believe the prophecy has not come to fruition yet, so this would make a lot of sense to me. What if this boy, Morpheus, will be Rumpel's undoing? But isn't that boy supposed to lead him to his son? What if they're talking about different boys? The boy that leads him to his son is Henry, or Neil, maybe in some way, strange way. And then that boy could then be referring about a different boy. Thing is, we already know that they've wrapped up absolutely everything they had ever conceived of in the beginning. So that would be a massive retcon and ruin yet more of the original story. Maybe. Here's another thought from Rainbow from our forums saying, to be fair, Rumpel said in the past that Bay was his happy ending. So if Rumpel dies and reunites with Balefire, he would have his happy ending in death. Huh. Well, that works for everybody, which is really morbid if you drag it out to its logical conclusion for the show. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. Uh, maybe, maybe not. I've seen tweets to us suggesting that it seems a popular opinion is someone important will die this season well i think that's a persistent theory and rumple emma maybe or we could it could be all kinds of different people uh, now if it's the final season certainly they could kill whoever they want and not really suffer consequences in a way at least for the True. story they wouldn't suffer consequences but although bell and rumple are still married and still love each other They are not making a home together. So this is going to be a recurring idea uh, through the season is seeing, I think, seeing Rumpel try to win back Belle's trust, which I know is a repeating concept. Extremely. I'm really hoping, I have hope, (laughs) that this is a season to try to correct some things because they keep making reference to 
how continuously they've been fighting and going on and running off and doing battles, both in the show and just in, say, the special before the show, they've been referencing that. I think they want to kind of stop and figure these people out that we've been chasing all over the realms. So, and I say that to mean that hopefully if they do hit some recurring themes, they'll actually settle them this time instead of getting it in the middle somewhere and then throwing people down another portal and mixing it all up again. And the way to settle it may be something drastic like Rumpel's dying. Yeah, the thing is he's died before. It does not have any teeth as a plot development anymore. Yeah, I was going to say unless it's a sacrifice, but then again, that's the way he died before. They did it beautifully already. Yeah. They shouldn't have undone it if they wanted plot integrity, but they did. So now I think it needs to be something else. You know, with one exception, I think Once Upon a Time does beautiful deaths. (laughs) But then they mess it up by bringing the person back in some way. Mm Mm-hmm. With, I didn't think with uh, Hook's death was beautiful. I thought it was awkward. I thought it was beautiful. And then the goodbye in the underworld I thought was beautiful too, was which is kind of like a death. Dark, and then there was an ambulance and like a stretcher, and I was like, how does Storybrooke have those things? So that was why I say it wasn't beautiful. It was very, it was clinical. I'm like, hmm, where'd you come from? It's cool. But speaking of beautiful and not clinical, <laughs> our heroes support this podcast episode <laughs> after episode, and they're not dead for it. <laughs> exactly. So if you want to not be dead for supporting this podcast, wow, then that's not a threat. It's not. It's <laughs> it's it's a hope, maybe. But we would love to have your support to help the podcast keep running and keep the server up. Help us to. Uh, keep the equipment going and and cover other expenses that the podcast has. So for this episode, I want to thank our heroes, Lisa Slack, David Newland, Amy Cattelier, DJ Firewolf, and Jim Babwe K88, plus all of our 28 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for your support of the podcast. We couldn't do this without you. Your support, whether it's a dollar per month or $10 or $20 or $100, Whatever level you're able to give, it really helps the podcast. Thank you very much. Every dollar matters. If you want to become a hero to the podcast, then please visit oncepodcast.com slash hero. And I promise you, we will not visit you as a creepy baby in your dreams if you support us at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Flipping back now to what's going on in Storybrooke. In our opening scene here, I, I want to get on a little soapbox, okay? Okay. Because you know I, I say these things sometimes. Hook, Emma, get married. <laughs> if you're supposed to be heroes, live with a higher moral standard that people can actually look up to. When Emma and Neil fornicated, you could say that Emma was naive and not yet a hero, though that doesn't make her any less responsible for her choices. Now Emma is called the savior, and she's the bringer of happy endings, the product of true love, the bearer of light magic, the one to begin the final battle, and she neither has the strength to control her own sexual urge, nor the honor to save sex for the covenant of marriage. I understand that the writers are trying to make 
real and relatable heroes. But what happened to inspiring better choices, to inspiring something that is beyond the norm, above the norm, something that's even more respectable? And, and by the way, what's unreal or unrelatable about someone mature enough to have self-control, patience, and commitment? I know I've said much more controversial things in this podcast before, and I think that this is an issue that is respected even by people who don't choose such morality. They can still respect the people who do choose to save sex for marriage. And to, to sum it up, here's my thought. Hook or Emma, if you want it, put a ring on it. <laughs> so, yeah, end of soapbox. When everyone, along with all of the extras, who are there just to be extras for some reason, I guess, they see the dirigible and everything coming into town. Hyde said that Rumpel gave Storybrooke to him. And remember in that little, what you called a video game sort of sequence with Rumpel, uh, it's... Oh, you mean when he was talking like this? (laughs) Rumpel said, you have the keys to Storybrooke. So what does that mean? The keys to Storybrooke? Well, Daniel, it means that if you live somewhere, you can do what you want. So... um, if you will get me gift certificates to my favorite coffee shop, I will give you Cincinnati. But you I don't can, actually have... Maybe I should set my price a little higher. But the point is, I can give you Cincinnati. But you actually can't. But could Rumpel give Storybrooke? In what way did Storybrooke belong to Stiltskin? That would enable him to give it to somebody else. And I think that's my point. (laughs) Well, he kind of created the dark curse. Well, yes. No. He put together the ingredients for it. At one point. Yes. And then that was completely destroyed. And then left someone else to cast the curse. So Storybrooke. Someone else cast it and then it was broken and reversed and someone else cast it again. But maybe it's like Storybrooke was essentially created with that first curse and then everything else is just returning Storybrooke. Got from somewhere else, right? Have we? Yeah. I I can't even remember. The Chernabog was Garden, the the Dark Curse. But we still technically don't know who wrote it. Right. Our, our, Our theories are good theories. About who wrote the curse and the nature of the curse from season five proved to be wrong, at least what we've seen so far. But anyway, he didn't occupy the mayor's office either. I think this keys to Storybrooke thing might be an indication that Rumpel kind of has the ability to come and go as he pleases in Storybrooke. Like he could from any other realm enter Storybrooke. We've never seen any indication of that. Well, we've seen him open a portal from the underworld. To Storybrooke. He needed certain things for it, sure. Like his blood. Yeah. And maybe they're blood brothers. So, somehow Hyde came to Storybrooke. Along with a giant dirigible that wasn't quite as giant as the last time we saw it. Yeah. Didn't it have the cell last time? Uh, well, it could have been a different dirigible. There are several other dirigibles in the land of untold stories. It brought all those people here, and yet Emma pokes her head in and goes, No one here. <laughs> it's tiny. Now, going back to the thought of Rumpel's ownership of Storybrooke, when Hyde says that Rumpel gave Storybrooke to him, they cut to show Regina, and the look on her face, to me, almost looks like she realizes, yeah, that's a thing. 
that can actually happen. Well, that's Regina's role some of the time in this show is to enter a scene and tell us, hey, guys, that's totally a thing. You didn't know it, but I know it intrinsically. What do you think makes Hyde so invincible? (laughs) You mean what makes him more powerful than any other magical or non-magical thing at which Emma and Regina have ever directed their magic? Yes. I'd say not a darn thing, unless he's not real. Hmm. He is the product of science, not of magic. He's a thing? Is he alive? Well, Emma was the product of true love, so we don't call her a thing. to see an ophthalmologist. (laughs) (laughs) like now Hyde said something I think sets up what will be a recurring theme in every episode for this season or at least this idea of uh, the story arc we're getting do be careful nothing more dangerous than an untold story and the people who don't want them told so I think With Once Upon a Time Season 6, we're going to get basically the untold story of the week and the danger that comes along with that as these stories apparently are going to play out when they haven't been able to before. I think it's just going to be all of them gathered in the library weeping because their stories have in fact been told. Well, that brings up an interesting question. What is an untold story? Yep. Is this... The writers giving themselves permission to write all kinds of their own fairy tales or mash things together or complete fairy tale stories. Could be interesting. They don't need permission for that. Unlike Rumple giving the town away. Mm. He needs permission for that. My favorite part about this scene was when they did the magicking. Emma told Regina that evil did not make her strong. Thank you. That's all That's all I wanted for like two seasons when that seemed to be in question. That's all I wanted yeah. anyone to say. Thank yeah, you. Nice. Do you think Hyde brought these people by invitation? Or do you think... <laughs> Is that all it takes to realm jump now? You just send an invitation? <laughs> or, or do you think that he forced them to come? Because they seem scared of him. Well, again, maybe I should rewatch the finale yet again. I don't remember anything about the land of untold stories being an indication that those people specifically did not want their stories told. But now that's the theme. They they went to the land of untold stories to escape their stories in some way. Sure. Maybe. So they don't want their stories told. They don't want their stories played out. Eh. Kind of, I think it seems consistent with what we saw at the end of the last season. They seem scared, so I'd say they were forced. Yeah. Probably. Like it crashed why did it crash, guys? Why? How did it get there? Why did it crash? Don't know. Um, probably not even a relevant question because I hadn't even thought to ask why it crashed until just now. <laughs> they're warping my brain. They're making me not ask things. But uh, now they're all hiding in the woods, waiting to be cast. I mean, waiting to go to Granny's. Now, to your comment earlier about Jekyll not really being a real person... Hudgebow suggested this. <laughs> Maybe because they are split, magic doesn't work on Hyde. Maybe he isn't a real person somehow. Like in Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, how Jekyll had to kill himself to stop Hyde. Maybe the only way you can hurt Hyde is by using magic on Jekyll. They have to still be connected. Remember, they both, and this is a nice low attention to detail, they both still have the cut on their face that... Once upon a time, timeline-wise, happened like yesterday kind of thing or earlier in the day. 
Oh gosh, that gives me a whole new theory on later in the season. What's that? Um, well, first of all, great minds, Hudgebow. Great minds. But if that's true, guess what the key to defeating the evil queen might be? Killing Regina? Mm-hmm. Ooh, a lot of people don't like you right now. I just thought of it. It just, that's just, that's not what I want. That's a logical conclusion. Send your hate mail to. <laughs> no, no. If you have hate mail to send, you need to split yourself or something. Yeah. And, and then make the good side of you send us the hate mail because then the good side of you would send a very nice piece of hate mail. You got to split the hater from the nice person. When Regina came home to the baby mess there, the baby mess. That's probably what my house is going to look like after Christmas this year when our firstborn will arrive and we'll get to meet our son or daughter. We we don't know, by the way. In case you've been wondering, do we know if it's a boy or a girl? We don't know. If you want to find out, you could just throw some sand at Jenny and see if you guys have an interesting dream. That might work. <laughs> it might need to be special sand. I don't know. I don't know how this works. When they catch Hyde, something interesting to note is what does work on Hyde, since we know magic doesn't seem to work, technology does work on Hyde. Hyde was created. Yeah, he was created <laughs> with technology. He can be defeated with technology. And, and the thing that Emma was holding, guess what? It's basically a long distance taser. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that the dirigible used the quote, same technology, and you can just sort of fashion the wreckage into this weapon steam that's probably what it is (laughs) and punks you punk (laughs) look at you and your steam good job he's handy he's handy i guess that's also where he made the specially made handcuffs yeah those handcuffs must really be something because he can't get out of them even though he could totally resist that oh so powerful magic epoxy that emma and regina have used so many times I don't know how. It's just, they're just metal. It's, it's like oil and water or like other aspects of physics where things don't combine or don't conduct or something like that. I don't know. And I think, I really think we're only supposed to know that they are specially made. Yeah. They should. With love. They should specially make a lot more things. They'd have a better life. And speaking of a better life, Dr. Hopper is back to make our lives better to see him in Once Upon a Time, yes. along with Pongo, and to try and help Emma's life be a little bit better with the crash site counseling. Great to see him. And just the way that he talks, again, I'm not sure if I've ever said this before, but Raphael Sabarge, perfect for this role, mm-hmm. because the way he talks, he just, he's smiling the whole time and encouraging. <laughs> and he plays the part perfectly. He's the perfect voice, the perfect face, For the part of Archie Hopper. Soothing. Yeah. Yes. And he confirmed, you've been fighting bad guys for years without a break. (laughs) The story of her life. (laughs) Literally, since her life is a story. Moving on. (laughs) This is the best, best thing about this season so far. I mean, we're one episode in, but that's the thing that I'm most excited about is that I have said every year, give them a break. Give him a break. And I don't know if this is really a break because there's like all this weird stuff happening in Storybrooke, but it's kind of a break. I think that's the point of it. When Emma goes to see Hyde, she almost seems to be offering him a break. But he said that he brought someone who can help her. And the grammar 
in that sentence is not incorrect or anything like that, but it does leave me asking a question. Did he bring the oracle or the woman who claims to have been formerly known as an oracle, (laughs) did he bring that person because he anticipated Emma's problem or is it that he brought her because he had need of her in some other way and he realizes, oh, hey, guess what? Someone I brought with me just so happens to be someone you need to talk to. Maybe she's a con artist who specializes in entering a story and finding the savior character and manipulating them into thinking they're going to die. Well, there could be some conning going on, but we'll get into that in a little mm, bit. It was, you think that's her name? Conning? <laughs> or Connie. Yeah. Well, it was supposed to sound like Connie. <laughs> Are we keeping people officially when we really want to keep them somewhere? Are we keeping them in the psych ward now instead of the cell in the sheriff's office? Did we decide that that was just not secure enough? Or is this like solitary? We don't want a guy who likes to talk that much in the sheriff's office. Yeah. Like, yeah, is that because they don't use that cell anymore? They just take people to the basement of the hospital, which is almost a violation of rights in some way. It's Forgotten Character Island in a box. I like it. Yeah. You can carry it with you. They should put him in Pandora's box now, except maybe he's not magical enough. Well, they may have to do that, or maybe they won't be able to. But that's a very good point now that there's vacancy once more (laughs) in Pandora's box. They make a good hotel name. (laughs) I don't know about that. Maybe not. I wouldn't be around when everyone wakes up. (laughs) When Regina goes to the mayor's office, it does create this, yes, emotional scene. And, And... I'll tell you, that kind of thing, the the place where something extremely emotional happened is extremely powerful. I've been there. Mm-hmm. I've had uh, something in my life uh, that at some point I will tell more of the story, not here in this podcast, but in a different podcast. But um, there was a particular location deeply associated with something that became extremely painful. And I could not pass by that location without just feeling a crushing pain on me. And there was actually a time in my life when I went into that location to kind of to stand in there and say, this no longer has control over me. I will no longer be defeated, affected by this. Uh, I've given it over to God. This no longer will take me down. I've moved on. I've recovered. I've healed. This is no longer that place of pain for me. Mm -hmm. And seeing that in Regina too, and even a little bit in Zelina, because Zelina lost someone there too that she loved, albeit it was basically the devil. <laughs> I know, not technically, so don't, don't point that out. But it's it's a very real thing. And it seems like she's trying to do that thing to to go back to embrace the pain and deal with it and try to move on. Mm-hmm. I think as much as we've been proponents of character development and have been saying we really want more character development, I think Regina is the most well-developed character in the series. Yeah, I'd say so because they have literally developed her. They've had her go through various changes and there hasn't been an abnormal plot-driven amount of back and forth. She's taken steps back like everyone does. But it hasn't been just this constant role reversal. She's moved sort of consistently forward to the point where she now actually 
freely calls these people her friends. You know, and it was it was gradual and slow. It wasn't sudden like her sisterhood with Zelina, you know, a one episode. Hey, here are your memories back. You guys were friends when you were young. So now you're best friend sisters instead of worst enemies, you know, <laughs> and still here. That's actually that's the thing. I liked the scene and then I didn't like it. The whole I blame you thing. I didn't understand. Do, does that feel consistent with Regina's character development? Or like does that just expose the weakness of their newfound sisterhood? Or was that more plot-driven? I kind of think it's all of those. Yeah. Now, Zelina can certainly blame Regina in some way. because And someone sent us this feedback. I can't find who it was right now. But um, someone did point out that Regina was the one who, in season five, told Zelina, yes, go to Hades. Mm -hmm. Love could change him. Yeah. And Zelina was the first one, though, to suggest that, saying, I can change him. Love can change him. And Regina was like, no, no, no. And it seemed like Zelina was about to believe that. And then Regina said, maybe love can change him. So Mm -hmm. everybody's to blame, really, or no one to blame. Hades is the the clear villain. Hades is the one who actually committed the crime. Yeah. So people tried, genuinely tried for good reasons, doing the perhaps even the right thing for the right reasons and it didn't work. So that doesn't mean they're to blame for the failure. Yeah. Yep. I I can see some of that stuff getting mixed up, but the way that all went down is breaking kind of their relationship just seemed sudden and maybe over the top. Yeah. But I think Zelina spoke for all of us when we saw this first episode of the season. I thought it would take weeks and weeks of battles and (laughs) twists and turns and there you go doing it day one. (laughs) Yep. That's funny. Although we, we really have not seen the last of this battle with Hyde and it's going to continue. You know it will. We haven't, but I am relieved that he's not just sitting somewhere in control. Let's go figure out how he's keeping everyone in the town. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Not the same old, same old. Yeah. He he finds his son somewhere in Storybrooke and then plots with him to try and (laughs) overtake Storybrooke secretly like Cora and Regina did or any of those other repeating things because then it wouldn't be a break they act like they've been in other realms every moment but they haven't the whole frozen thing well maybe not all but most of it took place in storybrook as i recall and that wasn't a break for them because they were still doing the same thing so yeah they did a little bit of run 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 but now they actually can have their breather and speaking of running the people running away in the forest and, and Snow and David finding them in their little trap that they left. Trap. Oh, the, 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 net. the net. Yes. How they almost got caught in a net. Yeah. What was the amateur's comment? I mean, literally, Snow has gotten caught in one of those. Was well, she an amateur at the time? I the guess? rope was clearly visible. Oh, I see. Maybe not clear if you don't have a big screen or if (laughs) you're not watching in high definition, but the rope (laughs) is definitely there. It's not covered or anything. Uh, It's not like you see this long line of leaves even covering an obvious trap. It's the rope is just right there. 
So that's that's why it's amateurs. They didn't hide the rope. It would have been cute if uh, Snow and Charming were caught in a net together. <laughs> or maybe like if Charming was caught in the net and Snow is the one who set the net right. trap for him. Because if they were both in it, we'd have to actually meet some of the faceless people with torches. And, you know, we're totally not paying them for this episode. So <laughs> not yet. But, we'll meet at Granny's because Snow will be there. And that's where everyone goes to mm-hmm. have But food. Snow in particular, apparently. that's that. I don't think she has been home in a while. I think that she just stays at Granny's. When Emma and Hook are out in the woods looking around, she, she again lies to him. <sighs> I am seething over this. And Hook knows she's lying to him. You can tell it in his tone, and he he does say you can lie to everyone, but you can't lie to me. And that's not like a permission kind of thing. That's basically a it doesn't work on me kind of thing. He knows when she's lying, and right here, he knows that she's lying. It just, we and they have been over this so many times, there's just nothing left to say. I don't get it. Talk about character development. They know better. She even said, well, later, I suppose, she literally promised him that she was telling him everything when she lied to him for at least the second time in this episode later on. I don't get it. And there was... They're beyond help. There was the whole hook being the dark one and her lying to him and keeping secrets. Now, that was to protect him. But this lie, she's protecting herself. She's not protecting him. She's not protecting anyone else. She's protecting herself her own maybe her pride well, her she position may think that she's protecting them from what worry Ugh, whatever i don't see a reason to lie i don't see one so she follows the white rabbit i mean the red bird <laughs> and she finds this girl maybe it can realm jump <laughs> it's the same girl from the opening scene we talked about her a lot already there are some things that I think are more the way the actress says the lines than the actual lines she's given, but she tends to not give much of a space with the commas that precede someone's name. Yeah. Now, here's a little grammar tip for you. <laughs> Almost whenever you're using a person's name in a sentence, when you're addressing that person, you use a comma around their name, commas kind of around their name, like Jeremy, comma, it's nice to see you, or hi, comma, Jeremy. No, you wouldn't use a comma if you're saying, give this to Jeremy. But if I'm saying, Jeremy, comma, give this to Bob. Hmm. (laughs) So she says, I see you met my pet, Emma. Now, there could be actually three ways (laughs) to to interpret that sentence. I see you met my pet, Emma. And it made me laugh both times. And I'm just like, if you're the writer, the actress, the director, like – the guy that gets the snacks and happens to be on set. Why don't you suggest, hey, why don't we have her say, Emma, I see you met my pet. Yeah, And she does the same <laughs> thing on a line later that just makes me think it's the way the actress is yeah. performing the line. <laughs> there is a comma in there. So kids and adults, put that comma before the name when you're addressing someone or after the name when you're addressing someone. Nice little grammar rule. You've learned all kinds of grammar principles from this podcast. I mean, we should probably be a better writer by now from this podcast. And even if you're a director, when you're watching a show and there's a word that people are not pronouncing consistently, make them pronounce it consistently. 
Um, that's just my PSA to directors everywhere. I want to bring up some of those other theories about the Oracle. As Jacqueline pointed out, the red bird is Iago. The little girl, maybe not who she claims to be. Think about these couple things. Why was an oracle with Aladdin in the first place? Or was it really an oracle back then? Maybe, maybe not. When she helps Emma see the vision, she conjures a staff out of nowhere. So she has magical powers. Hmm. We saw a seer in the episode Manhattan 214. That seer had no magical powers other than a really creepy voice, Mm -hmm. really weird hands and eyes, both in the same thing, and the ability to see the future. But she couldn't conjure something. Right. Now, what did the oracle, I'll just call her that for now, what did she conjure? It's a staff with a bird on it, and the bird's eyes glow in order to help Emma see this vision of the future. So here are some of the theories. So here's Alina's theory. She said, The Oracle is actually Jafar in disguise. The red bird looking far too similar from Iago from Aladdin. The visions may be a trick that causes Emma to second-guess herself, leading to her being more vulnerable to the villain from Agrabah. So that's one idea, is that the Oracle is actually Jafar in disguise. Interesting. And here's something else that adds to that. Matthew Paul pointed out the Oracle had an animal staff with glowy eyes. Glowy eyes. From this very episode, we saw that at the beginning of the episode, Jafar had a staff with a snake on it, and the snake had glowy eyes. Yeah. From the spinoff series Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, we know the history of that staff, and that it's actually a person. And that the staff also has glowy eyes. (laughs) So Matthew said, the Oracle had an animal staff with glowy eyes, just like Jafar's snake staff. I'm guessing that he did the same thing like he did to Amara and turned the real Oracle into a staff. So when we see the Oracle in Storybrooke today, that's Jafar and the staff is the Oracle. Huh. (laughs) Here's another theory from Jessica saying, so I was thinking about Aladdin and the savior and Emma's role. My prediction is Aladdin escaped to the land of untold stories to escape his savior premonition to avoid that fate. You know, the whole savior shakes things. I believe that what Emma saw is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy if she isn't careful. I see this oracle as evil-ish. Because she is trying to send Emma and maybe even Aladdin down a certain path. However, in Emma, she even said, no one decides my fate but me. And remember the line back from season one, everyone is going to try and tell you who you are and you have to say, no, this is who I am. Jessica continues, I believe Aladdin was a savior who ran from his problems and could make Emma run scared. That is my prediction for the season based off one episode. (laughs) Interesting. I was going to say it would make him kind of a coward if he did that. But yeah, if that's maybe the point, then it could be the point. He's not finished. I think we will see Aladdin probably in Storybrooke at some point here. Now, how about Emma's vision? I watched 
this over and over and over in slow motion and like stop motion. I stopped it frame by frame and like looked at do. certain details. Because the reason why I want to obsess over it like that mm-hmm. is because the last time I didn't do that, I could have picked up on that big detail that Hook was the dark one in yeah. season five because it was actually there. The clues were there in that one particular scene. Yeah. We could see Hook in the background when Merlin said in that voicemail, the dark one is here. It was Hook in the background. We could have seen that if I'd have obsessed over those details, but I didn't, and we missed that until it was too late. So I wanted to look more closely (laughs) at this. You make it sound like you got us. (laughs) (laughs) You did. (laughs) In this thing, now I know I could be overanalyzing this, so I know take this with a grain of salt and sugar and whatever else you want to take with uh, possibly bad theories. Stir it once an hour until set. In this vision, the person Emma is battling is a guy. I can tell by the feet, the shoes, the general body shape, it's a guy. Slash extreme height. (laughs) (laughs) Now, that could be just a stunt person that happens to be a guy, and this is really supposed to be a girl, but we don't know. He's wearing gloves. He's wearing the whole hood. You, you can't tell at all just from a glance. I'm looking at these finer details, like the shape of the shoes to see, are those guy shoes or are these girl shoes? Okay, so, Mr. Finer Details, tell me, did this villain go raid the costume closet and pull out one of the plentiful Dark One cloaks? Or is this <laughs> actually perceivably different? That's tough. It looks <laughs> it looks like a dark one cloak. Because um, I don't want to throw any shade on Eddie Castro, but it definitely looked like it was reused from the dark one days. Doesn't quite look as ornate as the dark mm. one cloaks. And it's not all that hard to make a generic black cloak. <laughs> well, that's true. Now, here are some other things of interest, <laughs> though. During the battle... When he disarms Emma, he poofs the sword away with red smoke. Yep. Our friend Jeff Roney, who unfortunately isn't podcasting about Once Upon a Time anymore, at least for the time being, but uh, I still keep in touch with Jeff Roney because we are actual friends. We go back a long time. But um, he had this pet theory for years about the color of smoke being tied to certain people. And we do see mm-hmm. that that's mostly true. Like Zelina, green smoke all the time. Mm-hmm. Emma, when we've seen Emma poof to places, it's been white smoke. Yeah. Regina, typically purple smoke, though there have been a couple times it's been different. Rumple, either we don't see him poof. Right. Or we have seen him poof with red smoke. This sword was poofed away with red smoke. Interesting. Think he's going to go full dark one? Maybe. But what doesn't quite fit with that is the way this person was fighting Emma. They were very active. Mm -hmm. They were doing all kinds of spinning moves, which look really cool, even though I am a black belt in karate, and I know certain techniques and things, and a spinning move can be really powerful. But I was looking at this fight scene and realizing a particular spinning move just wasn't necessary. Now, who else has used red smoke? I haven't been able to confirm this, but I think I remember Peter Pan maybe using red smoke. I thought Pan was all about the green everything. 
and I could be wrong, but you there's someone else be. we've seen use red smoke Enlighten in this us. episode. Enlighten us. Baby Mo. Baby Mo. Used red smoke when he poofed the hourglass and conjured it up. I will say this again. So maybe red smoke runs in the family. It's like because blood magic. True. <laughs> I think I said this perhaps already. Baby Mo was cast to specifically, I guess. As in, I feel like they put some effort into his casting. And if Bell is now out of the sleeping curse, he was only present for one episode unless there are other tricks afoot. Like, he's not who he said he is. They're going to do the rapid aging thing. Something. Now, there have been other characters who have used red smoke. Dark Hook used red smoke. Hmm. I believe Korra might have used red smoke as well. Maybe they just like it. So red smoke isn't necessarily an indicator. Um, Also the dragon. Maybe evil queen will. So being separate. A lot of people have used red smoke and smoke is only available in so many colors, apparently. Although can you imagine evil queen doing spinning moves? (laughs) No. And can you imagine Rumpel doing spinning moves? That's why I bring that up. I can. I can't. He usually just appears where he wants to be. He appears where he wants to be, and he's very confident in his fighting like that when it's a physical fight. He he basically stands still. He doesn't do fancy fight moves and stuff. True. He doesn't really need to. He's a dark one who can just poof himself into places. He can take a sword to the face or to the body somehow and just recover from it because he's the dark one. So I don't think that's necessarily Rumple. The idea I'm thinking is that this is somehow baby Morpheus. How? I don't know. That's onion rings. Or it was Morpheus pretending to be baby Mo, pretending to be Morpheus. Holding a staff that's actually Jafar. <laughs> yes. And how he woke Bell up. Who's to say? Questions are pointless yeah. anyway, so it could happen. Now, the the Oracle also said some other things to Emma. She said, you can change the path, but not the destination. And Oracle very clearly said, on the day that you saw, in the battle that you saw, you will die. Mm-hmm. That's And that avoids all other theories like, oh, on the day, but not in the battle. Like, maybe she'll win the battle and then she'll still die or... Maybe that battle will just happen 20 years later because she said you could alter the path, but no. And I take the day you saw to mean, well, she saw her family and they hadn't aged. So that day has to be soon. And Henry was there and it's difficult to hide age with a growing teenage boy like that. Yes. Although he did hide his face. Kind of. Kind of. But not the first time he ran up. So... They are amazingly specific with that line, which makes me think either it's true or it's completely false. The other thought is... Well, those are a couple of good options. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thought is, remember who's saying that? It's the Oracle, which may not be who they're claiming to be. If it's Jafar, what if Jafar is setting them up for this? And what if that figure is actually Jafar? I could see Jafar being the one to try to defeat Emma and put her in a staff Mm -hmm. so he can make Emma's eyes glow red at people. 
This is good. This uh, this is one of those episodes where I'm starting to see that there are more layers to what we watched than what I thought was present. Now, David sent us this theory on Twitter saying, Emma doesn't die in that battle, but she does lose her savior powers and will have to get them back somehow in season seven. Now, see, that would be the ultimate failure <laughs> if this all... Is not a deception, but by the time we get there, they are going, ah, well, die means something else, and battle means something else, and vision, blah, blah, blah. Everything's been redefined. That would be not a success in my mind. So I hope that that kind of a theory is not the correct answer. Moda Boutique suggested this possible solution to the Savior Shakes, saying, in season three, Zelina cursed Hook's lips to take away Emma's powers. If they get Zelina to cast the same spell to remove Emma's powers, she might therefore become immune to the mysterious metal, and her hands just might not shake anymore. If Adam and Eddie are focusing on the actual, quote, rules, unquote, that apply to a savior, then what I theorized probably doesn't work. Mysterious metal? The, the I, I assume that's talking about the sword that ends up stabbing her. It all began when she touched a piece of the dirigible, didn't it? It when someone threw it and it hit against other metal. I think it was it. yeah, merely the sound hmm. of it. Uh, it seems that certain things like that are what spark the visions, not the the tremors. I do realize though, these savior shakes didn't start until this episode. And what else has been happening in this episode? All of these people have come from the land of untold stories. One of them possibly Jafar. This break Jaf- is not such a break. Jafar was around when Aladdin was shaking. I wonder if there's someone that has this ability on saviors. They're like the anti-savior. Oh, gosh. Because Hyde did say, essentially, for every savior, there's a villain. Or in other words, an anti-savior. And now, Hyde did say that the villain defeats the savior which kind of seems like it makes the savior not actually the savior in that sense. Yeah, he said that it's always someone that takes them down. Yeah. How does he know? He's seen it before. Somehow. always, that's a big word, Mr. Hyde. Well, maybe he's seen a lot of saviors flee from their stories and come to the land of untold stories. And he hears of that. And that's how he knows how it always turns out. Weird. Interesting. I don't know how to feel about that idea. For him. Meanwhile, Regina tries that little locator spell to try to find, not not Robin, but to find the feather. Which, why? Because she wanted it. it was, Even Henry knows how that locator spell works. Yeah. Why would she try it? That doesn't make any sense. Now, I thought, nice job, Henry. Restoring faith and hope and, and mm-hmm. basically saying, well, maybe he's not obliterated. Kitsis and Horwitz hinted to this idea uh, in, I think it was Comic-Con or some panel or somewhere. They hinted to the idea that, that they had heard the complaints of literally every viewer of the show. No, that <laughs> Hades may not necessarily be telling the truth or know the truth about what the crystal can do. Yes. So what Henry is here doing here is not only restoring faith and hope to Regina, but I think also kind of being that little bandage to restore faith and hope to the viewers mm-hmm. to say, Robin, 
as a hero, as uh, the love of Regina's life, her soulmate, all of this, he's not actually obliterated. He is at peace. He's just dead, guys. Yeah. It's actually fine. So it's, all we need to do is go to the underworld or talk to a Greek mythological god and have them recognize what a hero Robin is and bring him back. They actually got the fans to a point where we're relieved to hear that someone is just dead. Good job. That's hope. <laughs> um, I, I think it's total retcon and I'm totally fine with it because it was a huge mistake. So, yes, it does help restore hope. Maybe not in what you're actually hearing in the moment that you're watching an episode. Mm-hmm. But in the overall plot, it restores hope. Now, here's the disappointing counter to that from Jacqueline. She said, why would Hades lie? This weapon is from the gods, intended to destroy gods, but because of intense fan backlash, we're expected to believe that Robin didn't really get obliterated. Mm-hmm. And what does that say about Zeus if he didn't bring back Robin after he made the ultimate sacrifice? There's a lot of fan placation going on in this scene, and while it might be nice or have good intention, it doesn't hold up with the narrative of the past season. So there's your opposing perspective. Like I said, retcon, but if ever one was needed, that was it. After Emma finishes her conversation with Hyde, then she goes to Granny's, finds Hook there, drinking away his sorrows. My girl lies to me, and I I don't know what to do. (laughs) I found it funny that when he gave one of those two drinks to Emma, he gave the one to her that was the one he had already been drinking from and was therefore already half drunk from the glass. Was he already half drunk? That's the question. Yeah, that's that's also a good question. <laughs> uh, which is where she promised him, promised him that everything was just stress and everything was fine. Yeah, Woman, it wasn't bad and not, not like your word is literally not good. I promise you I'm not lying. I'm actually lying right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, and what more, how is there still hope? We're talking a lot about hope. I see, I see Emma lying to hook yet again, Emma lying to anyone in the town as a pretty hopeless thing. It's just sad. Yeah. And their relationship can recover. Certainly. And I do want their relationship to recover. I do want them to get married. Guys, come on, like my rant earlier. (laughs) But they've got some serious issues to work through with this habit Emma has of lying to the people she loves. She needs to go to Well-Intentioned Liars Anonymous or something. She needs to take a lesson from Regina and Snow, the, the more mature, more developed Regina and Snow, because they have this great conversation at the town hall there on the bench Mm -hmm. and I (laughs) funny in it. I was an awful stepmother. I know that I was, I find that to be such an incredible understatement. (laughs) (laughs) An awful stepmother is neglectful and perhaps hateful. This one, I mean, had an army trying to kill her stepdaughter that that goes beyond awful, but this was still a great talk. Mm Mm-hmm. And Regina said, Robin is at peace, or that's what she's choosing to believe in. I think that doesn't justify his death. 
but I think it does make us want to feel better, at least, about his death, to know that he's at peace. Yeah, to do one of the most hopeless things you've ever heard of in any story anywhere on a show that touts hope as its main point was an interesting choice. Yeah. So, yep. Back, and Regina, away. <laughs> and Regina said that she's choosing to believe that this story will have a better ending than her last. I wonder, could that same hope and that same choosing to believe also apply to Emma? No. I'm just kidding, guys. Yeah, that whole thing that she said about my life was never just one story. It was many stories. I think that's a really hopeful concept for people Mm. because the story you're in right now might not be good, but that doesn't mean it's the only story that's ever going to happen in your life. Yeah, it's it's basically that... Regina is saying all of my life has been a series of doors in my face. <laughs> Had to bring it back. <laughs> I just can't let it go. <laughs> that was cold. Speaking of cold, Evil Queen goes to visit Zelina. I can understand Evil Queen being able to find and re-enter Storybrooke because Evil Queen is, after all, was part of Regina so she's from this area. She can see it. She can re-enter it. I don't really have a problem with that. Yeah. I thought it's loads of fun to see the evil queen back again, along with her evil laugh and the way she <laughs> talks and those looks she gives, the like overly evil queen <laughs> kind of looks. It It is fun, but it can't. It's, they're going to have to be so careful with it because it can't just be fun for the sake of fun. It needs to make a show that works. But, uh, I mean, I think it's probably going to turn out better than I had imagined. But there again, I still have questions about the validity of Evil Queen existing as a living being. We've questioned many things before as major plot points. Like the frozen thing where you said, uh, this seems like it'll be kind of stupid. Yeah, it but turned I out pretty up, good. I loved that. Honestly, um, I know a lot of people didn't, but for what it was, I enjoyed Frozen for what it was. And I felt like that was almost a sequel to Frozen. And it was good Once Upon a Time too. Mm-hmm. So what was to hate? I liked it. Yeah. And, and the Hades and Underworld thing. Turned we, out better than yeah. we would have expected, but it, you know, was a weird thing so moments this whole (laughs) this whole splitting evil queen from regina thing could turn out much better than we expect certainly it's set us up for a fun story in our initial reactions we were talking about well is zelina then going to go on the side of the evil queen because zelina did say to regina earlier in this episode you ripped out the only basically she said you ripped out the only part of you that was like me the part of you that was most like me. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're just admitting still somehow, even as you're kind of laughing and smiling about your baby and the mess, that you're basically this wicked woman, I guess if that's how what you want to embrace, then yeah. But definitely let's develop Selena because, dang. But in these last few scenes last few camera switches and the last shots you see Zelina's look does not look like yay this is the part of Regina that's most like me we're gonna be buddies and best friends forever and we're gonna be sisters finally (laughs) 
the look on Zelina's face was more like, oh, snap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is not actually what I wanted. I do not like this. I am not okay with this. So maybe she'll be a double agent. Maybe she'll go along with it and be the inside woman. Perhaps. So we'll think that she's chosen evil queen, but really she's doing it for Regina. I could see that. Which would be nice because otherwise, even more so, the scene in the mayor's office was just to bring this about. So this concludes our discussion of this episode, The Savior. (laughs) The spoilers that you might hear in a little bit from Hunter and Jacqueline will probably prove a lot of what we said wrong or maybe prove some of what we said right. But nonetheless, stick around for those spoilers if you want to hear them after the music. And there are some great ones in there that I think that you will enjoy. I don't know what they are, but I just know that Hunter and Jacqueline always have this amazing ability to find some great spoilers and share great insights on them. Thank you very much for sending the feedback that we were able to use in this episode. If you are a person who enjoys reading these theories and sorting them out and filtering good theories from bad theories, please email feedback at oncepodcast.com because Corbin has done a great job for us at sorting theories. Uh, We've had others in the past too, like Slurpees 108, uh, help sort theories and some others, but they're unavailable now to continue helping us sort these emails. If you would like to support the podcast in that way and volunteer a little bit of time, it doesn't take all that much time, but it's primarily on a Wednesday afternoon to sort these things, put them in our notes and such. Please email us feedback at oncepodcast.com and uh, we can see how it might work out. But we do appreciate the feedback that you give us and keep our feedback information handy. It's on the website at oncepodcast.com and the show notes for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode or want to continue the conversation in the comments, go to oncepodcast.com slash 258. That's also where you can go to share this episode on Twitter, Facebook, all of those places like that. And that does help the podcast a great deal. What really helps us most is if you tell someone else about the podcast. When you have that conversation with your coworkers or your classmates, about once upon a time you should tell them oh man or if it's a girl maybe you'd say oh woman you gotta (laughs) listen to this podcast about the tv show once upon a time because they explain this theory or because they included my feedback on their podcast or because they were so wrong (laughs) yeah whatever it takes (laughs) tell someone else about the podcast especially with international podcast day on september 30th but if you miss this before September 30th, it's fine to tell someone else about the podcast on a different day. Just podcast day, September 30th is a great day and a great excuse to be able to tell other people about your favorite podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Once Podcast for late breaking announcements and make sure that you join us for our live shows Sunday nights at 9.15 p.m. Eastern and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. That schedule and the ability to watch live and participate in the chat room even during the showing of Once Upon a Time is over at oncepodcast.com slash live. Please connect with each of us individually as well. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. Special thanks to our whole team of volunteers who make this podcast possible episode after episode. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing spoilers. You'll hear from them in a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, and to my co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. And until next time, have a nice nap while mommy helps barbecue mean old Mr. Hyde.
and thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you would like to be a hero too, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. You get cool access to things like bloopers, and you know that you are supporting the podcast and helping make it possible. So please visit oncepodcast.com slash hero, and thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast. We're back to our normal schedule. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> okay, so we've got episode 602, A Bitter Drought. When a mysterious man from the land of untold stories, who has a past with the evil queen, arrives in Storybrooke, David and Snow work together with Regina to neutralize the threat. Belle seeks Hook's help, finding a safe place to hide away from her husband, Mr. Gold. The evil queen continues to try to win Zelina over to her side, while Emma resumes her therapy sessions with Archie and shares her terrifying visions of the future. Yay, Emma in therapy. That should be good. It doesn't sound like a lot's going to happen this episode, though. I know. It doesn't. And... I'm kind of wondering what the flashback is. Is it between this mysterious man who is probably the Count of Monte Cristo and the evil queen? Because normally we get something about, you know, an enchanted forest of the past. Right. So I don't know. But it's written by Andrew Chambliss and Dana Horgan and directed by Ron Underwood. Yes. And we do have quite a few guest stars. Yes. So we have Lee Ehrenberg back as Grumpy. Of course, we have Raphael Sabarge as Dr. Archie slash Jiminy Cricket. Mm -hmm. And Beverly Elliott is also coming along as Granny. I hope Beverly Elliott gets an actual part in this one. I do, too. I want her to talk. Last week, she served some food. That's Right. And she was a guest star. Yeah, I'd like for her to talk. It's always good when Granny talks. Yes. We also have Craig Horner coming in as the Count of Monte Cristo. Andrea Brooks as Charlotte. Andrew... Cavadas as Baron Danglarsum, Craig Eccleson as the butler, Olina Medwind as party goer number one, and Nadine Lightbody as party goer number two. Yes. Thank you for reading those. <laughs> <laughs> I'd still be trying to figure out how to say some of those names. <laughs> yeah, it was my turn this week, apparently. So we did get a promo. We did, and did you think that it didn't really give anything away? It gave absolutely nothing because it said okay. this season on Once right. Upon a Time. So it was just a recap of what we're going to see this season and who we're going to see. Yeah, it, there wasn't a whole lot in this promo. Um, we do see Zelina and the Evil Queen together. So I don't know if Zelina actually teams up with her or if she only makes the Evil Queen believe that they have teamed up. That's kind of something people are asking themselves right now. Yes. And we see Emma fighting a dark hooded being or figure right. or like the evil one or the dark one. I Yeah. Who, who do we think that hooded being is? Because actually, with all our set spoilers, we don't know. Right. No. I would, the only thing I can think of, like, but they did it last season, it'd be fighting herself. That's kind of exactly what I was thinking. I think this might be Emma fighting herself and that... 
yes, Emma Swan, quote, is going to die, but it's going to be like the Emma Swan that is the insecure orphan who has all these walls. That's kind of what I where I think they're going with this season. Okay. Um, and then we also, again, see Aladdin, Jasmine, and they do mention that Cinderella is coming back. And they see her with the dress. Yeah, and that's going to be episode three, so a week after this one. And then there's a return. They, there was a quote saying the return of unrelenting evil. Which is probably the evil queen. Right. So not a whole lot in that promo. No, didn't tell us anything. Absolutely no. <laughs> nothing. And I looked and scoured for another promo, too, and I didn't yeah. see one. But we did get a script tease. Yes. And who do you want to be? I'll be Henry. Okay, I'll be Regina. Mom? Get behind me, Henry. End scene. End scene. <laughs> um, I don't know if maybe this is the scene where we meet the Count of Monte Cristo because I think he's got some kind of mysterious past with Regina. So maybe she's scared that he's going to hurt Henry. I don't know. Or the evil queen's there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true, too, because eventually they do need to get clued into the fact that the evil queen is alive and in Storybrooke. And I hope they don't let that go for like five or six episodes. Right. That would just be ridiculous. It would be. So, but we saw some set photos. We did. Um, and once again, it kind of looks like it's all from the same scene. They've been doing this now for a while, and they did it for the premiere, and they did it for this episode. And it's getting very annoying. It kind of is. I really want some flashback photos. That'd be so cool. But this one, everyone's hanging out at Granny's. It looks like maybe they're having... A party? Is that where the party goers are? Maybe. I mean, we do have casting for a party goer, so I'm going to say yeah. One and two. And two, yeah. (laughs) Um, But it looks like everybody is there. You see the entire cast including bell there are some shots of bell inside granny's so she's making it known that she is back and awake i think that's when she goes and asks for help that's what i was thinking and then we also see henry talking with someone that i think um is craig horner who plays the count of monte cristo okay the the outfit that guy was wearing pretty much looks exactly like the set photos we had when he was filming this episode okay yeah, all I saw was like destroyed clothes that are like ripped yeah. up and old, and which is interesting because if he's supposed to be the Count of Monte Cristo, then he's supposed to actually be a count. <laughs> yeah, it's his former self, the identity he's basically trying to hide, Edmond Dantes, who is supposed to be really ragged. So I'm kind of interested to see how they twist that classic piece of literature. Yes, then we see Henry. Yep, still. And he's got a message, like a card, and I didn't have time to – I'm not Daniel. I didn't screenshot I, it and make yeah. it bigger. And I didn't blow it up. I didn't look at it, but it looks like there's some kind of message. Right, and I wonder what it says. It looks Me like too. all the fancy handwriting, like he's being invited somewhere, like it's a invite of some sort. Oh, interesting. That's what I think. And then we do see the Three Musketeers. So that is them. I thought so. Yes. I could tell yeah. by the hats. The hats are dead giveaway. And yeah. the big – Blousey shirts and when it's they're exact if since those are the three musketeers that's exactly what i thought they would be like yes they look exactly like how you would picture the three musketeers but they don't have any talking lines yeah uh, which because there's no d'artagnan there's no any of them right why am i blanking Um, on all of their names but (laughs) uh d'artagnan porthos Aramis, and athos yeah that's it I just watched the Disney movie not that long ago. Yeah. <laughs> Go you. Chris O'Donnell, come on. 
<laughs> but it is interesting that they don't have any speaking lines because last week one of them actually appeared in the press release but didn't have any speaking lines when we saw the premiere. Maybe it got cut. Yeah, maybe. And then we also see some people who are decked out in just the most steampunk outfits I've ever seen, not at a cosplay. If you don't know what steampunk is, you will definitely know what it is by the end of this episode. <laughs> yes, they are decked head to toe in it, and they look really good. Um, hats off to Eduardo Castro for those outfits. They look really good. Yes. Then we have the Evil Queen and Zelina. Yep. Which we kind of saw at the end of the last episode. So, of course, they're going to build on that storyline. Right. And then we do see, I guess there are two scenes here. We There actually are two scenes because then we do see some pictures of Mr. Gold alone in his shop. Yes. And he looks very sad. Of course. I mean, Belle left him. <laughs> yeah. And his, you know, tiny fetus of a son apparently hates him or something. Already. And, <laughs> already. I thought, I thought they were in the like developmental age. They didn't know how to hate at that time. At that age. <laughs> At this age, I'm pretty sure he's no bigger than, like, the head of a pin. But, <laughs> you know, you do you, Morpheus. And then we do see that the evil queen comes to visit Mr. Gold. Right. They're going to team up some way. I know. I mean, evil and evil. Yeah, yeah, because he's kind of embracing his whole evil side. I mean, he's not even trying to be good at this point. So that should be an interesting dynamic. Yes, very much so. Now. Yes, we're moving on to some casting news, and we're going to leave the big one for the last one, I think. We are. We're going to, because I know you guys have probably seen it if you've been paying attention at all, and I know that there are quite a number of people who messaged me or gave me a shout out on Twitter going, what the heck is going on? But we're going to leave that one until the very end and start with some smaller things. Yep. So Gabrielle Rose will be returning as Charming's mother. We haven't seen her since season four flashbacks. Yeah been a couple years so we talked about this in our last podcast for the spoilers we talked about whether or not they were going to show that snow and charming met each other before the episode snow falls and based on what charming and snowing are wearing in in episode seven that we've seen so charming in his farmer gear and snow white in her very pretty pretty princess outfit like how she just escaped from graham in the woods and the fact that the mother is coming back i kind of think they're gonna say that charming and snow met each other before the episode snow falls and, and I then don't forgot like i don't either <laughs> um we had the same problem when zelina and regina met as children we kind of said oh this is a bit you know uh, it, it doesn't really go into the the timeline it kind of makes it a little convoluted and of course there's a magical memory erase and I'm kind of wondering if that's what happens squidding. here. A squidding. <laughs> Jeremy will love that. No, but uh, there was a quote that was said at Comic-Con, and it talks about David, about how David will discover some things that he thought were truths in his life, but they maybe weren't so true. So either his father is still alive, which has been the theory all summer, mm -hmm. or we might learn that... David's mother maybe gave him some kind of memory erase, and that's why he doesn't remember meeting Snow White if, in fact, they did meet before the episode Snow Falls. So did both of them, you think, then get the memory curse? Because she didn't make any mention to see when they saw them. Right. They had him. no idea who each other was. So I would guess that Snow somehow also got the memory potion. But, I mean, it would mean that 
they just very they wiped out this very very specific memory because obviously snow remembers the rest of her life right i don't don't know know. i don't like that i don't like that theory i if if it comes true i'm very disappointed so yeah i would much rather just leave snow falls alone it's such a good episode the way they meet is such a beautiful way you know it's still one of my favorite episodes so leave it alone really please i mean it's already written so (laughs) at least i think so anyway Let's move on to the next casting. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to really butcher this name, and I'm very, very sorry. <laughs> Tizi Ma, I'm going to sure. guess. Okay, Tizi Ma is slated to return as the dragon. In case you guys don't remember, we have met the dragon twice. Season two. I really liked this when I was reading it. They're like, the magical being who used his magic to heal muggles in a small Hong Kong clinic. <laughs> So, yeah, that was season two, and he was taken down by Tamara. Yes. And then we he reappeared in season the five finale with the Evil Queen when uh, the Evil Queen ripped out his heart. And if he's coming back, then he's still alive. Did we see him crush – see her crush the heart? We didn't. Okay, so then I'm going to guess she's a, he's under control of her. That's what I'm thinking, although I kind of wonder what she needs him for. He's the dragon. Oh, well, that, okay then. Is it Maleficent's daughter's father? Oh, gosh. Sure. We I haven't mean, gone not? back to that storyline. It's been a whole, like, <laughs> season that we were promised that we would know more about this, but we sure. never learned. Sure. I mean, I think Jeremy actually postulated something similar at the end of season five, and I made some sort of joke that, I mean, of course, Caucasian Maleficent and Asian dragon give birth to Lily. I, why not? Why not? I mean, come on. It could happen. It could happen. Okay. (laughs) They're magical beings. And they're both dragons. So there you go. Yep. Okay. Big casting news. Let's get to it. Big one. So they announced yesterday in an exclusive to Entertainment Weekly that Sean McGuire is going to be returning for a multi-episode arc this season. So, yeah. Yeah. Robin Hood is coming back. (laughs) How is this possible? I don't know. I I thought Ted was dead. Well, but not dead. But not dead. So this is kind of funny because Hunter and I were talking about this before we started recording and we both said something like, well, for the past couple podcasts, you and I have both been saying dead is dead. You know, people ask us all the time, is he coming back? Or they ask Adam and Eddie, is it possible for them to come back? And Adam and Eddie maintain that dead is dead when it comes to Robin Hood. And then this news breaks. Yeah. So he might be coming back in a flashback. Yep. He or might. according to them, according to Adam and Eddie, he either come back in flashbacks or other means, but it's being kept a secret. Yes. But he's not rising from the grave. Yeah, I do not think he is coming back to life. However, there is a theory that is floating around the fandom that I think is pretty spot on, and it's the one I want to share with you guys. So episode eight is called I'll Be Your Mirror. And when that episode title dropped, a lot of us were like, well, what the heck does that even mean? That's a weird title. And then this news happens. And the theory is that Robin was not obliterated, which is something they set up in the season premiere. And then what's going to happen is Robin will be returning as Regina's magic mirror. And then he'll be able to keep an eye on her and always be with her being inside the mirror and then he could possibly also see Roland in the Enchanted Forest and he could see baby Robin who's living in Storybrooke and that this is what they mean by multi-episode arc is sort of his appearance as the mirror them working together um the evil queen or you know Regina 
taking down the evil queen with the help of her magic mirror, who's really Robin, and then maybe some kind of resolution. I don't know how many episodes the arc is. My guess is it's maybe going to be three or four. Okay. But that's the theory that I think is going to come true, is that Robin is going to be her magic mirror. Okay, I get that theory, but I don't like it. I'm conflicted over well, a Regina lot of this. Regina had such character growth, like falling in love and then losing him. But to have him kind of half back is just kind of weird to me. I think it's also kind of cruel. Yeah, like, oh, you can see him and talk to him, but you can't touch him. Right, you can't touch him. You can't marry him. You can't Unless live a life together. Which would be at all time weird for this show. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, what happens if five years down the road, Regina does actually find love again and wants to have a family, you know, she's going to have her magic mirror there who's technically her soulmate because the pixie dust said so. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, my other guess is that the end of this episode arc will actually see Robin Hood maybe finally moving on. Okay. So maybe he's kind of trapped somewhere like in another realm and he becomes her magic mirror to help her with something. And then having helped her, he really does move on and it gives both of them closure. Because otherwise, I don't know, this feels both weird and cruel, both to Regina and to the fans. Because I know all of Outlaw Queen was really upset and they certainly had a right to be. But to bring him back and then to take him away again, I mean, a lot of people are actually hoping that they are really going to bring him back to life. Yeah, which I don't see that happening. I don't. The only way I could see it possibly happening is if this really is the final season and Adam and Eddie are kind of just like... Whatever. We don't care, right? <laughs> like, we, Oh, you, know, you want him back? Sure, we'll bring him from the... We'll, we'll bring him back, you know, last couple episodes, maybe of the entire season, they find a way and he and Regina can get married and live happily ever after and they don't ever have to deal with anything beyond that. But my gut instinct says that like nine times out of 10, they are not going to bring him back for real. Yeah. Certainly some news that I was not expecting. I wasn't expecting it at all. No, that was that was a very when big shock. I turned shock. on the computer and I saw that as the headline of the article. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> that was exactly my reaction to. I kind of just sat there dumbfounded for a minute. And I, I had to think to myself, is today April Fool's Day? I know, right? Like, <laughs> no, it's that, not April. It's not. It's not. It's actually the very end of September. Yeah. But the fact that they're announcing now, I think, means he will be on set here pretty soon. Yeah. So maybe by this time next week, we'll have some photos that we can talk about, maybe some more information. Okay. So we had a couple articles. We did. Um, a lot of this has to do with whether or not Emma Swan is actually doomed. Well, of course she's doomed. She's the savior. <laughs> so you think she's really going to die? Or part of her. It might be like the Harry okay. Potter ending where a part of him died. Yeah, exactly. That's, like, that's I don't I think, think they'll actually kill her off. No. I think she's going to kill off her insecure orphan self. Yeah. All right. So, but we did get a couple of these interviews. The question was, is there a lot of backstory with saviors that we'll learn this season, or is it just encapsulated by Aladdin, Emma, and this oracle that we met, who is totally Jafar, by the way, I think, <laughs> throwing that out there. Um, and Eddie said the first batch of episodes would be that. We're not going to really meet other saviors in this first half. Then they asked, how will Aladdin and Jasmine be incorporated? And... 
Horowitz said, they get incorporated into Storybrooke world within the first batch of episodes and there's slightly longer term arc planned for them. Gets us goes, uh, we're going to be doing our spin on it. So episode five is going to be their backstory with a different take on what the movie was. So, yeah. And we'll be seeing them pretty soon. Jasmine's first appearance is in episode four and then their backstory is really episode five. And then they did talk a little bit about Cinderella's returning and what her arc is like. Adam Do they said, really think that they're going to answer that fully? <laughs> I'm sorry. you ha- We've been through this for over five seasons now. Really, people? Do you think they're going to just come out and tell you exactly what's going to happen? No. Right, right. They're never, ever going to do that. <laughs> but... Adam did say with Cinderella, it's less an arc than she returns in an episode and we may or may not see her more because we love the character, which to me means, no, we will not see her character. (laughs) Her episode is very impactful on what's going on with Emma and Regina and all of our core characters. Is she filming something else? Jessie Schramm? I don't know. Because that would probably determine whether or not she comes back or not. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't look like she's in anything else right now. Okay. So... I mean, she could. They could get her back. But I I kind of think that Cinderella is going to be a one-time only deal. Okay. Next one. Okay. So they also, of course, talked about Emma because that's one of the big moments from the end of the premiere is Emma and her death march, apparently. And Emma's fate hanging in the balance is all part of the show taking a deeper look at what happy endings really mean. What we really wanted to do was get inside Emma's head, Eddie said. Six years ago when we met her, the very first thing she did to Henry is she said, I don't believe any of this. She even denied having a kid. We've seen her grow and fight and go on all these travels. We thought, what would happen if you really did all this? Is it fair to return the happy endings to everyone else and be told yours doesn't come? Would you still keep doing your job? Are you doing it out of the sake of duty or because you believe in it? What kind of role model are you? We really wanted to get into Emma's head this year in a character way and really explore what it means to have this responsibility. Okay, first in the beginning part, taking a look at what happy endings really mean. I thought that was the point of the whole show. I did as well. Okay, so I'm not crazy. No, you're not crazy. Okay. So, yeah, looking into hers, yeah, of course, I, I thought that was, like, the whole big story arc. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think most of the viewers are going to agree that Emma Swan is not going to die. Like, forever, forever, forever. I think if they're exploring these kind of questions with her about what is the nature of happy endings, and they're doing it, like, in a really explicit way and not just as a something they explore over the course of the entire series— I don't know. The more I read from them, the more I really think that they are gearing up to end the show this year. I think it's time. Yeah. Like, I love the show, but I think it's time. I don't know much else they could do with it. But they'll probably surprise us and come up with another, sign everyone to another five-year contract. (laughs) And then, moving on from Emma, we did get some stuff on Rumple and Belle. Yes. So... Eddie Kitza says, Belle really is kind of in a place where she's given up on Rumple. No, duh. But they (laughs) have had a child that makes things messier because you actually have to put aside your own feelings and put the child first. No matter how severely disappointed she is in her mate. Um, Well, that's just a duh. I'm sorry. People are idiots. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I hope they manage to work together because it's it would be nice if 
they even if they don't get back together romantically, they could, you know, come up a way to raise their child. I mean, Rumple feels bad enough for how he raised Neil. I don't think he would try even if he and Belle weren't together, I don't think he would leave his son. I agree. And then the spoiler that Hunter just read, I kind of feel like it contradicts the press release from this week where Belle just flat out wants to hide from Rumpel and actually goes to Rumpel's greatest enemy for help. Yeah. So she's done with him, but at the same time, you know, they need to put aside their feelings and put the child first. And part of that means either ending your relationship for good or coming to a place where you can both be happy together, but ultimately trying to figure out how you are both going to be a part of this child's life. If so, Emma and Regina can do it, I'm pretty sure Belle and Rumpel can do it. Yes. But on the Rumpel side of things, Eddie said that Rumpel, meanwhile, truly loves Belle. He wants that child and truly wants to be a good dad. But he is a gangster and he's not giving up that life. And then Adam noted that when they're in the dream world and she asks if he would change for her and he says, for you, I would be the best man I can be. It's a very carefully chosen set of words. He'll be the best man he can be, but he can't quite get to that place of actually being a good man. And that's the push-pull in that relationship because she does love him and she does see the good and the bad in him and sees the potential and it's that frustration that continues to grow. Right. I mean, this is the same thing. This is what we've been seeing the whole time. We know that he loves her. Right. That's not in question at all. And he just can't give up being the dark one because that's all he's known for the past 500 years. Yeah, he's and I I think they're right that that line, I would be the best man I can be. I don't think he's lying there. I think no, I don't think he is at all. He would be the best man that he is capable of being. But for Rumpel, that means still being the dark one. That still means using magic to achieve whatever ends he wants. That means still loving that dagger that he told Belle he loved last season, that he does love being the Dark One and having this power. And it's whether or not Belle can accept that that's always going to be part of their life and whether Rumble can accept that Belle is always going to want something more. And honestly, at this stage, <laughs> I really think that they cannot make it work. I'm sorry to say that. It sucks. I get it. I mean, I was a huge Rumbell shipper when this show first really? began. Oh, my gosh. I I had no clue. I adored them. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, ha, ha, ha. And. LOL. <laughs> I, my, my prediction for the, for this show right now is still that Rumpel is going to die a hero, but not necessarily a good man. Okay. So let's talk about Morpheus. <laughs> Will Morpheus continue to play a role in his parents' predicament? Before I even read the answer, uh, duh, he is the kid. Right. So, yes, we are going to see him again, answers Horowitz. It was a taste of an introduction. Yeah. Now, what's interesting here is that we are going to see him again, but Belle has woken up. So how are we going to see him again? Again. In the dream world. When so she goes if she, to sleep at night. If she, if she goes to sleep every night and what, her, her son who's projecting himself as a god <laughs> just appears. I, I'm sorry. I mean, I get what they're doing with this plot line, but it's a little strange. It's very strange. It's Not strange. just a little. It's very. It's very strange. Yeah. Like, but, I'm, I'm very happy for you and your prediction came right. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the episode going, Oh my gosh, Jacqueline was right. What in the world? I know, I know. Um, 
I swear I don't have any secret knowledge. It was a total crackpot theory, and then it came true, and I just sat there watching the TV going, huh, okay. I was right. I am the master, the mistress of the show. (laughs) What I say happens. That's all for the interviews. They've been on the soundstage a lot in the past week or so. So we don't have too many photos, but we do know that Karen David and Dennis Ockdennis, who play Jasmine and Aladdin, did come back to Vancouver and they are now back on set filming. And I believe they are, they're kind of wrapping up eight, maybe moving toward nine. So look for Aladdin and Jasmine to be back on the show around episode eight. Yeah, I hope so. They look cute. They do. They do. They do look really cute. I'm, I'm excited to finally actually meet Jasmine in a couple episodes. I'm kind of glad they're not doing a Hercules Meg thing where they brought them on for one episode. Yeah, me too. Me too. So, but that's all we have for you guys. It's a lot, but not really. Right. <laughs> it's going to be like this again because we're back to once a week shows. So get used to it. <laughs> yeah, no more hour long spoiler podcasts. And I think this one actually went pretty long. We're at like 30 minutes. So, yeah. Sorry. There's just a lot to talk about. Yes. So, I'm Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. And I'm Jacqueline. And you can follow me on Twitter at punk underscore bunny underscore 87. Until next time, Oncers.